fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 735 of Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Topkinson. Hey, Will. Oh, excuse me, guys, for coughing up along. It's been one of those weeks. Not enough coffee, that's your uh, problem. No, it's uh, I just had this random cough. I haven't had any other symptoms. I just had this cough. Yeah. It's like just a tickle in the back of the throat and then cough. And then it's good for 10 minutes and tickle in the back of the throat. And <laughs> cough. Just stop. Yeah. No. But, How's uh, you been other than that? All right. Bloody cold. Cold. We've had a couple of minuses this week. Jeez. So I've been, been a bit last fresh. Last night I didn't have any sheets or blankets or anything on. It was so warm in there. We had rain last night at like three o'clock in the morning. It just dumped. Uh, Absolutely dumped. It was like, excuse me. I haven't seen any in ages. Where'd that come from? <laughs> The, the, my new garden could do with some of it. The, I looked up like about midnight. I was wandering around. And I looked up and I could see like a perfectly clear night. Yep. That was the last thing I was expecting. Was sudden deluge. <laughs> sudden deluge. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, just you know, I had a busy Friday last night. I had to go and pick up my new van. Yay! EV. Finally got it. The new yeah, the uh, ENV two hundred, the uh, electric. Basically, it's a Nissan Leaf uh, wrapped up in a van. Yeah. Um, Gonzo, it has been affectionately dubbed. Disney and the Muppets. Uh, yeah, well, it's got a beak. So, because when, <laughs> when you open it to charge it, um, the front Stick the nozzle snout, in the front. The front snout pops open. And it looks <laughs> like it's got a beak, so it's been dubbed Gonzo. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I went and picked that up on Friday, and I was supposed to go and do a couple other things and then charge in the city on my way back through, but I never actually got around to doing that because I never got to the charge point, point. and um, so I ended up driving it home in one run, and I didn't have full charge when I picked it up, and I pulled into the driveway with 5Ks left. <laughs> um, How long's your driveway? <laughs> so, <coughs> put that on charge overnight, plugged it in on the... Um, I'll show you here. 15 amp? Plugged it in on at home on the just the normal home, what they call the granny charger. Yep. Just the normal one that you plug into a PowerPoint, which at home I have 15 amps, so I can plug it in that. does about three about three kilowatts, about three kilowatts an hour. Um, so with an 18 usable, it takes about five to six hours to fully charge the battery. At work, we don't have a 15 amp socket. We've only got 10, so it takes about... If the battery was flat, it would take like 22 hours, but because I'm only topping up at work, it's not too bad. Yep. But I also gave it its first, uh, whoops, I also gave it its first um, proper fast charge at a 
at an actual ChargeFox station using a Chatmo oh, charger. Nice. And charge from Eureka. 20% to 80% in 15 minutes. Nice. So that was pretty cool. How far do you get in 80%? So it will do... Um, the range is getting better because uh, it's been sitting half charged for nearly 12 months while I've been waiting for it. Yep. Um, but it seems to, at the moment, settled on about... 120 k's to a charge. Yep. So if you do your 80% charge, it's about 100 k's. Um, <coughs> so a little less, obviously. If you're using your aircon or heater and you're driving either in a headwind or you're driving it like, you know, it likes sitting on about 90. Once yep. you go above 90, it starts to use a bit more power. Um, but if you're, you know, if you were stopping every hour, driving 100 k's at a time on the highway, you know, you don't have to stop for 20 minutes. It's not really designed for long distance, but you can certainly do it. It's, a, yep. you know, just a 15-minute stop every every hour. Just which, map out where you're going. Yeah, you know, not a big deal. But uh, as long as you're aware and you remember that, because the first day I took it to, on uh, Tuesday, took it into work and I, hadn't, I forgot to charge it Monday night at home. I thought, oh, I'll do it Tuesday when I get to work. But because I'd already been to work and home, and then back to work, it uses about 25% charge from here to work. So on the Monday, I'd gone from here to, to work and then back here. So it's 50%. Yep. And then back into work, I'd use 75% of the battery. And then I put it on the charger at work. But I got a phone call about 20 minutes later to go and do a call out at Springfield Lakes. So I drove to Springfield Lakes, which used about another 15%. So I was down to 10% battery by the time I got to Springfield Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and did the job there, and then I went to one of their public charge points that was broken. Yep. Oh, <laughs> That's your bad luck. And so I'm at about 5% charge, and I'm like, uh... Now you know, what? what? I changed apps. I went from the PlugShare app to the Fox, uh, Fox Charge... <coughs> uh, ChargeFox app, and looked around. There was another charge point just around the corner. Yep. So wriggled my way out of this car park and got out of there and went around the corner and up and down and around and around this roundabout and around the park and it was literally around the corner but it took me like seemed like it took me forever to get there <laughs> I pulled into the fast charge with 1% charge left <laughs> but this one was working right <laughs> this one worked uh, and I uh, gave it a gave it a good charge sat there for it was at 1% charge I plugged it in um, and then I Went to the back of the van, finished off a couple of, finished off the invoice for the lady I just did the job for, went back and checked on my charge and it was up to 30%. So <laughs> when you're really low on charge, it really pu pushes the charge in really quickly early on. And then as the more charge it gets, the slower it went. Yep. So I was there for, I don't know, seven, actually I've got the, the uh, invoice for it. I was there for, I think I was there for 11 minutes. I put in I put in um, six kilowatts in eleven minutes, which is enough for um, like twenty five percent charge. Yeah, uh, and it cost me a dollar twenty. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, and the other charge at the moment in the middle of Ipswich, the charge fox there is actually set to free at the moment, so it doesn't cost anything to go there and charge up. Oh, nice. <coughs> so, I'm guessing that the more expensive ones would be like my car that says you've got like 
30 k's left in petrol do you want us to find a nearby petrol station you click yes and it shows you the nearest ones you can just click on which one you want to go to. a lot of them will do that this one will if i run the um if i run the plug share app or if i run the um one of the there's there's two or three different apps you can use uh i can set a route and it'll say you know if how much charge you need to get there where the nearest charge point is you know all that sort of stuff it'll it'll, it'll do that Yep. Um, on an app, but I'm putting an Android head deck in it because the head deck in it's Japanese and like it doesn't work anyway because it's Japanese radio stations, Japanese TV stations, Japanese <laughs> maps, like it's all in Japanese. So I'm putting an Android head deck in, but it'll run the ChargeFox stuff um, by default. Yep. The one thing about being out here, there's a charger in Ipswich, a charger in Springfield, and a charger in Toowoomba. And there's there's nothing. There's a massive big triangle where there's just nothing. Oh. So. Um, yeah, so I kind of just get into the habit now. I come home every afternoon, plug it in at home, and and uh, I know I'm good for 100. If I have to, I can get 110, 115 k's out of it if I need to, which you know more than gets me to. A ch- I mean, I can drive to the other side of Brisbane on that, so yeah, you know, that'll get me anywhere I need to go. So you're gonna get a fudge charger <coughs> point set up at work. I'm gonna look into it to see what's involved. Um, the the one that's in that. Work well, on the switch is only just around the corner, so it's not super critical. But uh, having a battery store, which is part of the reason we got the electric van in the first place, yeah. Um, uh, I would like to have it just makes sense to have a, a public charger yeah. there, like it's just to me, it makes sense to have one. But if it's going to be a ten thousand dollar exercise, well, I'm not interested, <laughs> so <laughs> you just write it off in tax, it's fine, yeah. Well, but um, but no, so that's cool, so that'll get you know. It's really, it's bizarre. I mean, I've driven a hybrid. I have the Camry Hybrid, which is electric up to like 40 kilometers an hour and then the petrol motor kicks in and, yep. you know, stuff like that. So I kind of get, I was kind of, you know, expecting certain things, but doing 40 kilometers an hour in silence is entirely different than doing 100 kilometers an hour in silence. Like, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all you can hear is like road noise and, you know, you, it's just so, you can have a, like, I can actually talk to somebody on my phone is my phone sitting on the dash yep. not in speaker mode like it can just be on normal phone it's mode I and I can have a conversation <laughs> with them <coughs> you know, it's, I remember we uh, had fun when I was working in Brisbane and we had a hire car from like Hertz or something and occasionally they would have an all electric one and then they're just like there you go you can drive it I'm like how? <laughs> how do I how do I make it go? What do I press? How do is it going? It is going. I go and I put down my foot. Oh, we're moving. It doesn't sound like it, but I guess we are going. See that uh, there's two modes you can set. What's called creep mode or still mode. Um, what it means is that if it's in creep mode, it acts like a normal automatic. Whereas if you take your foot off the brake, it'll slowly start creeping forward or backwards. Yeah. Or there's still mode where it won't until you touch the throttle. I like having creep mode because it makes small movements very easy and low slow speed movements easy. It also it kind of feels to. more like an automatic. It feels more natural. You take your yeah, foot off the yeah. brake, the car starts moving. Instead of having to take your foot off the brake and then put your foot on the accelerator for it to do something. Yeah, I so. think this must have been still mode then because it took a bit of getting used to not knowing yeah. if the car was actually going on. Yeah. I turn it on, did I press the right thing? Then it's, it's got pedestrian like... warning mode, which is like a white noise 
um, uh, yeah. white noise sounder. So if you're doing less than, I think it's less than five kilometers an hour, it comes on to warn people that you're <laughs> moving. I, mean, you can, I turn it off because sometimes... You like I'm sneaking re- up on people. Well, sometimes if I'm reversing, I, I have it on. But yeah. a lot of the time I turn it off because it's, it's just annoying. Like half the time I'm the only one around anyway, so I don't need to know that I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but tell you what, from zero to 60, the thing's really, really quick and punchy and fast. Like it's... All right. It's a lot of fun to drive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's... Uh, if everyone's familiar with the Nissan Leaf, it's it's effectively a 2015 Leaf with a van body on it, so... You need to do one of those streams <laughs> where you've got the phone camera up on the dash filming you and the road, and this is I, me heading down this road. I will be doing... Um, I just want to get a bit used to it and some of the, some of the nuances of it. Uh, yep. figured out first but yeah I will be doing a video on it and I'll be doing something like that um, and uh, there's all sorts of, like, I only just discovered the other day I'm like oh man I've got to adjust the headlights because the headlights are way high alright but then I realised it's actually got a auto adjuster where you can select where you want the headlight to, to, oh, nice. to sit so if you want to, so if you're carrying a lot of weight in the front you turn the headlight up if you're carrying weight in the back you can put it down so <laughs> it's got all this stuff that I've only just discovered it's got like Andy. So yeah, so I'll get, I'll get a bit more used to it first, and I will actually do a video on it, and um, and yeah, it'll be pretty cool. What's really funny though is because it's been coming to the country, um, I ended up having to go through Shannon's insurance because nobody else would insure it because it well, didn't come up on anybody else's system because it's a private import. Yeah. Um. Oh, there was a couple others that that it did, but they were stupid expensive. Like I'm talking like two thousand dollars a year comprehensive. Um, Shannon's did it for like 780 bucks or something yep. for full comprehensive um, which I thought was really really impressive given that we've I've just discovered it's actually the only one in the country right, right. there's a couple of British UK ENV 200s which are a slightly different model yep. they're a slightly bigger van um, but apparently I've got the only Japanese one according nice. to well, at least as far as they could find, at least that's registered. There may be there may be a couple in the country that aren't registered. Yep. But in terms of vehicles that are registered, it's the only one. So, so that's that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's that's something cool. I've been busy um, buying things <coughs> off eBay and Amazon again. I've got a refurbished Game Boy Color. That, that looks like a normal Game Boy. <laughs> it looks like the original Game Boy, yeah. but it's actually a color one. It's I was very confused when you first got it. EverDrive cartridge in the back there so that you can put all your games onto the card, onto an SD card, and just slot it in there. So you can see if I... Um... So it's not just a refurbished color, it's a refurbished modified color. Yeah. So you've got your little SD card and you just pop it in there and then you can select any of the games that you've got and play them just as if it was a normal Game Boy cartridge. And it's got a button on the back of it. So if you finish a game and you put to the main menu and you want to load a different one, you don't have to go switch off, switch on. You can actually just push on the back of the cartridge and it'll reset it back to the start. You can select something else. So that that was pretty neat. And then um, I also always wanted to get a Game Boy Advance way back in the day and I never got around to it. So I ended up buying this one. This one was a lot more expensive, $300, but um, I'm getting a... That's about um, what they were new, I think. Something like that, probably, yeah. Um, 
get an EverDrive cartridge for that one as well because you have to have the Game Boy Advance specific one. But this one has been modified so you can plug in video cables and watch it in 480p on your TV. So you can play it just like it was a console. So 480p on here, but nothing appears on the screen, but it goes out to the TV instead. 480p on a 60-inch TV. That that'll be. Yeah, well, I only got 40-inch TV (laughs) in the bedroom, so it's not quite as bad. (laughs) But yeah, it came with the cables, and the guy was like, "I was like, oh, I've never actually had a Game Boy in my life. I didn't know anyone who ever had one. I'd I'd never actually played one before, and uh, I saw they came out the year that I." finished high school so they were only just coming out with the original game boys then and then um he said oh i'll tell you what so he gave me an upgraded clear plastic black case you can see through to the um, electronics inside there um upgraded the screws to proper steel ones and uh all of that so yeah that was extra bonus but um i'm not gonna bother with doing anything with it until i get the um EverDrive cartridge for that one so I can play all the stuff. So I've just been going on all over the web for the last week and a half looking up all these websites. Best Game Boy games, best Game Boy Color games, guest best Game Boy Advance games and gonna try them all out. I was playing I went had to take my daughter to the hospital today to get her stitches checked. And they're like, Oh, everyone's here, it's gonna be a long wait. I said, Don't worry, I'm sorted. I brought my Game Boy. I've got like 200 games on there, so I can just sit here all day and just play that instead. <laughs> Except the, the, battery, lady... the batteries last like 12 minutes. but Yeah. <laughs> and the lady was like, oh, um, I had one of them years ago. I loved it. I wish I still had my Game Boy. <laughs> and you've discovered, the, uh, you've discovered the um, the uh, limitations of screen viewing. Yes, I had to play it like this because it's got terrible lighting in the waiting room at the hospital. That was the big. I think that was the reason. That's really what killed those devices. The inability to view the screen in anything but sitting directly under the blazing sun. Yeah, that's why a lot of uh, add-ons and stuff work. And even they um, didn't, I mean... And they chew through the battery. They chew through the battery and they don't work amazingly. They work okay... But most of those front lights still aren't great. I saw a lot of uh, people, this guy had done a cartoon. He's like, you ever remember doing this when you're in the car at nighttime trying to play your Game Boy and the street light goes past? And you're like, <laughs> okay, I can see. Whoa, here comes another street light. Dad, they go under the street. Ah. <laughs> but see, this is the thing. Once the links come out, once the, um, what was the Sega one? Um, M-Gear. M-Gear. Once all those come out, they all had not only color screens, but backlit color screens. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think... The the Game Boy Advance I got has got the IPS upgrade with backlight and everything in it. Yeah, but that's a a new thing. Originally, they didn't have that. Even the Game Boy Color originally wasn't great. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't until they... I already had this one with IPS, the Embonica G350, which emulates like yeah, really. 80 different systems <laughs> it wasn't really till the 3ds that they had that screen issue sorted yep yeah you know but i always found that fascinating that yeah they are you saying that uh, you knew people with game boys at school and stuff we had a lot of um, a lot of kids at school had them um i was the only one in school with the links 
Mm-hmm. Um, two or three kids had the engage. The engage, yeah. Yep. Nokia. No, the um, Engi, the the Sega one. Game Gear. Game Gear. Yep. Too many <laughs> names. A um, couple of kids had those. Actually, it was a family, so I think it was like three, two brothers and a sister had those. And then probably like a third of the kids all had Game Boys. Yeah. Um, which was weird to me because they're all about similar price. And out of all, I mean, none of them had great battery life. Mine seemed to have the best, but it also took the most. It took like, off the top of my head, I think it took like eight double A's. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it took a lot of batteries. Um, but it had a good screen, though. It also had a big screen. Like, it was it was good color screen, but it was also the biggest screen out of a lot of them. Yep. It was also it was physically big to hold. Like, I liked it because it was a big, chunky console that, yep. you know... <laughs> Felt like you're doing something. Yeah, the spare backpack for the. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and the batteries. Um, well, I used to have a. I actually used to carry a um, a battery in my backpack um, that I when I was playing on the bus or playing at lunchtime, I'd have it actually plugged in because yep. in my bag I actually had a um, well, what would now you call a seven amp hour, like what you find in your alarm systems, the NBN boxes. It was one yep. of those back then. They weren't as common, but dad had one rigged up in the back of my bag and had the so i could play on that for like hours and hours <laughs> um and then i had i discovered another trick if i put rechargeable batteries in the back of it and i plugged in the power to play it while i had the power plugged in it's recharging the batteries ah, so when nice. i unplugged it i had a full battery pack again in the yep. game and you've been playing all the time <laughs> yeah and my friends with their like their their uh Game Boys were playing for their 45 minutes or whatever it was before their batteries went flat. And <laughs> so, what were some of the games you liked on the um, links? I honestly can't remember too many of them. I know there was, I'm pretty sure there was Altered Beast, yep. was one of them. Um, I want to say there was, it was like Chopper. I think it was just called Chopper. Yep. Um,. There was, um, uh, what's it called? Was it Shinobi? The yes. star throwing one? Yeah. Um, I think I had a couple of motorbike ones. Oh, California games. I think right. every console and every computer and everything I've had has, I've always had a version of California games on uh, it. I've played that on the Commodore 64. <laughs> um,. There was a couple others. Was pretty was, crap at most of them, though. <coughs> there was a weird version of Tetris. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. It was called something weird, but it wasn't actually Tetris, but it was like a Tetris clone. Um, I was reading on Wikipedia when they said it. that um, the guy, a couple of guys decided to start working on the um, Game Boy after the NES came out, or Famicom, they called it over there. Yeah. And um, everyone was like, "Oh, this is a piece of crap! No one will ever get it." They, they came to like called it like the lame game because they thought it was so stupid nobody would ever want one. And then the uh, guys who were making the Game Boy convinced the um, owner of the company to buy the rights to Tetris, and then they put that on there, and it was released with Tetris came with it. Yeah. And then after that, the sales just took off, and they sold millions of units. 
so fast they had to keep making new ones and then they upgrade to the color and then the pockets and the lights and then the advance and off it went from there and of course they had uh paperboy and lemmings as well ah um couple of great games. There was actually an interesting thing on YouTube if, if you're interested in um, like the history of Super Mario Brothers and things like that. I was watching a, um, a video last night. Uh, just quickly see if I can find it. And it was um, the game Nintendo didn't want you to play. Oh. Um, right. And it was a copycat um a copycat game called The Great Genus Sisters. Oh, yeah, that was great on the Commodore 64. Yeah, well, it was a copycat ripoff of Super Mario Super Brothers. Mario. And um, it's really interesting how it ended up becoming... It, it, they Infamous. A, they did a cease and desist on it, so they pulled it, and then they bought out a version 2, which was slightly different, even though it was still a ripoff of like Mario 2. And <laughs> But this ended up, ended up becoming its own thing and it ended up actually becoming a very popular game what started off as a rip off yeah ended up being actually quite popular I think someone's done um, the actual Super Mario Brothers so that it on the Commodore 64 so it plays exactly like it did on the NES oh okay they've copied all of all of the um, movements and the different nuances of how the character moved and things jumped and uh, exploded and all of that to make it pretty much exactly the same as the original one yeah yes it's uh oh okay actually I've just <clears throat> quickly looked up my Atari I actually had the Atari Lynx 2 uh which was a slightly smaller uh oh. case same size screen I didn't even know they had a second um in 1990 they released the Lynx 2 which um cause the first one was released in 89 the original links. That was the same year as the Game Boy. Yeah, it was released two months before the Game Boy. Ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then they they refabbed it, made the stereo sound, and added slightly smaller screen and slightly more bat battery efficient. Um, but you could play up to eight players with link cables. Oh, nice. Which was cool. Um. But it was a do something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, or four, Simpsons. Four people all doing together. Yeah. It was a hybrid eight-bit and sixteen-bit system. Wow. Yeah. Um. At for the time, like it had proper sound processors and it had um the game cartridge could hold a lot of intensive games because it was actually compressed. It would actually it would actually hold it in RAM. It uncompressed it off the cartridge and put it into the RAM. Um, so it actually... They they could fit a lot more on the cartridge because it wasn't paying directly off the cartridge. Yeah. And you weren't <coughs> waiting for loading screens or anything. Yeah, it was it was pretty well, pretty cool. Pretty well done, actually. Um, I have to watch some YouTube videos on them. I don't know that much about the links. 16 simultaneous colours. <laughs> <laughs> Game but, Boy Color had four, but it did do seventy-five frames a second, mm. which you know <laughs> was pretty she impressive, really. And it was <laughs> and it was four-channel sound. It wasn't just stereo; it was four-channel sound. Yep. It was a uh, eight-bit MOS processor uh, running at four megahertz. Well, <laughs> and eight-bit digital audio for each audio channel. 
Nice. Um, so it was actually a pretty decent system, really. 160 by 102 resolution. Yes. Um, variable frame rate, yeah, up to 75 frames a second. Yes. Um, let's see, you are 512 bytes of bootstrap and game loading ROM. Uh, 16 megahertz CMOS custom ROM chip for loading the games. Uh, unlimited number of blitter sprites with collision detection. Hardware sprite scaling, distortion, tilting effects. Hardware decoding and compressed sprite data. Hardware clipping and multi-directional scrolling. A maths engine. Hardware 16-bit to 16-bit plus 32-bit multiplier. Um, parallel processing CPU, 64k of RAM. Oh, nobody should need any more si- than 64k. 64k of DRAM. Whoa. Um, cartridges of up to one megabit. Um, yeah. Battery. Okay, six double A's. They say it last. Five, they say it lasted four to five. There's no way that battery lasts. Well, maybe if you put decent batteries in them instead of two dollar shop batteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I swear, yeah. I got no more than a lunch break out of it. But you know, <laughs> it was enough. <sighs> anyway. Strip down memory lane. <laughs> Australian retro news. Should we do some uh, actual news news? Oh, I suppose we better. Speaking of what um, we've been talking about already, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has for years talked about opening up his company's vast supercharger network to other electric vehicles. But earlier this month, Musk tweeted that Tesla plans to do this later this year. And this week, he finally offered some details about how it might work. It'll be real simple, he claimed on Investor Call on Monday. Owners of other EVs will be able to charge at a supercharged station by using the Tesla app, which right now is geared toward people who have purchased the company's products. That's about all Tesla will have to do to make this possible in Europe and China, where there are standardized charging cable connectors. Tesla's already commented to uh, opening up the network in Norway, but Tesla has a proprietary connector in North America, so non-Tesla vehicles there will need an adapter. This and here as well. Here as well. Yeah. <laughs> this could be up to the other automakers to make. Musk had previously said that Tesla has had held talks with other automakers about sharing costs in order to open up the supercharged network. And in 2018, he said competitors would have to be able to accept our charge rate from our connector and at least have an adapter to our connector. Tesla may still make its own, as Musk said he anticipates making them available at supercharger stations as long as people don't sort of steal them or something. Tesla Energy lead Drew Baglino assured his boss on the call that his team has a good solution for that. This adapter would likely have to be certified, something typically done in parties, third parties like UL, and some basic software written to handle the handshake that happens between the car and the charger before electrons start flowing. If Tesla allows other electric vehicles to charge on the supercharged network, it could be a big boost for the nascent but growing EV market. The company has already built out almost 3,000 stations and nearly 27,000 connectors worldwide, which can charge at faster rates than most other networks. Okay, so I was just looking up to see what they actually use. 
They actually use a J1772 adapter standard, which is good because basically most um, most EVs have the newer ones have more, but traditionally they had two styles of chargers. They had what was called a Chatamo charger, which is a direct DC to DC charger, which is the fastest option. Yep. Um, or they had a Type One or a Type Two um, connector, which is a J seventeen seventy two. The difference is a Type One is a, is up to uh, thirty three kilo uh, thirty three kilowatt hours, whereas a Type Two is up to I think one hundred and fifty kilowatt hours or something. But um, they're slightly different connectors, but they use the same standard. They use a they use a uh, a sense lead, the sense that it's plugged in. They use a resistance lead that the car sends to say what what, what level of charging the car supports. And then it, depending if it's a Type 1 or a Type 2, it has either 3 or 4 uh, power pins. Um, they're quite a standard. Tesla have their own plug, but it's just a ve- modified version of a 1772, which is good because it means it's cost you like 150 bucks. You can buy a conversion cable to convert it to whatever your car uses. Um, so that'll be handy because yeah I was just looking up then um, it it does add a lot more flexibility because there's some places where there's only a Tesla charger there's some places where there's not a Tesla charger you know this sort of stuff but it's good now because once I open that up it'll give you yeah if everyone um, a much more thing the other thing I was yeah, so basically, it'll it'll work out okay because even if you're using an older vehicle, uh, like I've got, as I said, mine uses the Type One standard plus the Chatamo standard. The Type One is the slowest style of charging, so it's not great if you want to supercharge or if you're in a hurry. Uh, and I can't see them. Yeah, they're they're using the destination charges, which are um, not their supercharging service. So because they're supercharging ones. They're saying they're 1772, but I can't see how they'd be using... Mm, I'll have to do some more research. Maybe. if I don't know if they convert to Chadmo, though, because if they don't convert to Chadmo, then I'd be stuck using Type 1. So it'd be no really benefit than charging at home, other than the fact I wouldn't be at home, but it would be a slow charge. Um, Chadmo's the best one in terms of speed, but that doesn't seem to be what they're offering but anyway well, we'll go through that but that's good though either way it's, it's good that there's some sort of standardised um, well not even standardising like that there's adapters you can buy for most tiles, types of different charges but just the fact that they're allowing non-Teslas to use Tesla charge networks now yeah that'd be great um, would be very handy we should probably mention <coughs> this too scrolling across the top yeah off you go we got Patreons. If you want to be a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash all techheads. That's it. That's it. Or um, you can go to co-fi.com slash all techheads. Uh, we have a couple of people who donate via PayPal. Um, you're quite welcome to do that as well. Or you can do direct deposit. Or you can send us cash in the mail like Grandma used to. <laughs> Whatever you like. I don't really care. It's all legal but, tender. Uh, it is. And it all, you can send us um, various, various different current uh, bit currencies whether it's bitcoin or australia coin or uh doge or shibu uh, engine (laughs) 
We've got, a, we've got a few of those covered as well. So All the things. We'll, we'll take, we'll, we, we don't care how we get your money. We, we yeah. really don't. We'll just, we'll just take it. In any way <laughs> we can get it. Um, but no, seriously, guys, for those who do donate, it, it really does make a difference. We've been very, very slack, and I do apologize uh, on some of the perks and features. Um, I don't know what Glenn's excuse is. He's just a slacker, I'm assuming. Blame it on the <laughs> um, we've just purchased Battery Central, myself and, and Sonia, my wife. So the last couple of months we've been flat out. I mean, it's funny. I've been running the company for over ten years. Yep. Like it, it's fine. But now that I own it, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I've completely forgotten everything. Uh, <laughs> I don't too know. Much pressure. Yeah, I, just, I don't know if it's the stress. I don't know if it's the pressure. I don't know if it's expectation. <laughs> But for some bizarre, bizarre reason, I've suddenly just forgotten everything I knew about running this company. Like, it's so weird. So, the last couple of months, I've kind of been distracted with that as well. But, uh, yep. you know. But, of course, yeah. Um, you know, our Blue Ocean Web Hosting is, is where Aussie Tech Heads will slowly migrate across to. So, if you do want to get web services, check that out. Uh, and, of course, Battery Central which is, is my store. Uh, everything battery and solar and off-grid and grid tie and... Well, not, not grid tie, sorry, but off-grid and granny flat and marine and mobility scooter and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, if you want something, hook us up. Or and you might look even us get up. a discount. And uh, if you're a listener, you'll definitely get a discount, um, depending on what it is you wish to purchase. But you will definitely look after you on that. Just tell um, them Ken sent you. Most things can be shipped. Not everything, but most things can be shipped. Some things just aren't worth shipping. Um, but, yeah, of course, look us up and give us a call and um, we shall help you out there. Um, Forbes, what? why? You've been open for the last hour and you haven't complained. Now you realise I have an ad blocker and you won't let me see the story. <laughs> well, I'm not going to worry about that story. No. <laughs> We don't need no stinking story from Forbes. Uh, but going on the um, sort of handheld devices, Valve, we've been talking about to have their Steam Deck uh, has been a thing they've been talking about for a while. Yeah. They've released a few more, bit more information on it. Um, they're promising it'll be the entire Steam library, minimum 30 frames a second. Nice. Now, admittedly, it's 800p resolution. It's not exactly low res. I mean, the screen's not huge either, but it's, you know, the screen itself on the device is about as big as a mobile phone, and then the device is on, you know, outside of that. Um, it's like a but switch. But 30 frames a second is... There's, there's some games that I play that my PC struggles to get 30 frames a second, so... Yeah. 30 frames on a handheld device, that's going to be... That's going to be some, you know, but basically the some of the specs they've released. Um, <coughs> oh, excuse me, you just have to put up with my coughing. Um, they're trying to future-proof it a bit, so they have they haven't said exactly the spec, but they're saying they use a custom APU incorporating AMD's latest generation of GPU and CPU technologies. Um, Sixteen gig of DDR5 RAM, which is pretty neat. Nice. Um, yeah, it's said eight hundred p resolution, which you know is for on a screen that size is is absolutely fine. Um, it'll have uh, SD card connection, so the games will be stored on the SD card, um, as well as an an internal SSD. So basically, the game pretty much will be stored on the SSD. Your save files will be stored on the SD card. 
the, the theory is the save files will be compatible with the PC version as well. So if you've got the same game on the PC, you can copy your save files across, start nice. off where you left off on the PC. Um, that's the theory. Um, obviously, that's going to be somewhat dependent on what the developers themselves actually yeah, implement that because that's going to be a thing. They're saying, uh, so pre-orders of, if you wish, you can pre-order them now. Um, as of a couple of days ago, pre-orders opened up for them. Um, they are supposed to be three ninety nine, which I'm assuming is US. Uh, ask technically, yeah, it'd be US. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're supposed to be available from December. Uh, so if you do want to, you know, want a console, want a handheld that plays modern games, that uh, the actual um, device itself is 11.7 inches long, which is two inches longer than the Switch. Um, it's got three variants, so uh, it's going to be different SSDs, um, effectively, is, is the biggest thing. And um, they've got different screens. So basically, 399 is going to be the, the entry-level one, and then, which I think was 128 gig storage, and just a basic uh, LCD screen, and then you've got 256 gig with a, um, like a, what do they call it, Gorilla Glass screen or whatever it is, and then you've yep. got the 649, which is a 512 gig with the anti-glare etched Gorilla Glass, U-Butte. You know, <laughs> screen. Um, they've got the same AMD processors. They've got the four cores and two CPUs. RDNA uh, two GPA. RDNA, yeah, two GPUs, which um, is a sixteen gig. Uh, they've also got a sixteen gig DDR five RAM. They've got a forty watt hour battery, which they say depending on the game could be a minimum two hours but as much as eight so obviously the more uh process intensive the game and it, the harder it's going to be on the battery yep. um micro sd as well the screen itself is a seven inch uh 1280 by 100 with 60 hertz it's interesting they've chosen 60 hertz resolution screen but they're planning on running the games at 30 yeah so that'll be interlaced <laughs> and it is a touch screen uh lcd um and does a few other. Doesn't just play those. It does videos and audio, and can watch it on the TV. Connect to the TV apparently to the Switch Lite dock that allows you to w- watch HDMI out. Um, can also run through a powered USB Type C cable. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm near tempted to get one, I tell you, actually. You'd have to have a. Um 3G connection at least if paired to your phone or something if you want to play any games away from home because all Steam games have to connect the Steam before they'll work even if it's a standalone single player. They don't. I was actually trying to figure that out before. They, It does say that when you first log on and log in your entire Steam library shows up like you're on your PC. Um, but apparently it's running on a Steam OS which is a a Linux distro yep. um, but apparently the way it's worded it sounds like once you've got a, once you've uh, 
installed a game and you've played it the first time and you've logged in and activated it, as long as it's not a multiplayer online game, obviously that wouldn't work, but if it's a single player game and you've got already had it installed and you've already run it, it sounds like it will run uh, offline. Um, interesting. Which, it would be a good way of getting around that because it means... Um, you know, if you're going to install a game, well, obviously you've got internet connection to download and install a game, so it's not a problem. Yeah. Run it the first time to verify it and lock it to that device. And then after that, it, you know, if it's a single player game, it doesn't matter if it, if it, you're playing it offline. Yep. And so. we should say also, if you like um, portable devices, the Playdate device is now um, ready for pre-order. And they said they're not going to run out of devices, so it's not going to be like limited. And then say, "Oh no, we've run out. You left to load from Scalp or whatever." That some do. That's a little device. It's kind of like a Game Boy. It's got a one-bit screen that's just black and white pixels, but it's got a crank on the side that you can spin around for some games. Like you might be advancing forwards through times and go backwards through time and stuff like that. They've uh, been announced that they're available for pre-order now. And also the Pocket Analog, which is, uh, it's not an emulator for Game Boy devices. It uses FPGA, so it's all hardware, but it'll uh, run uh, real Game Boy cartridges if you bought one off eBay or whatever. Plug it in there and it'll launch it and play them for Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Color, and I think Game Boy Advance. And they also support other things, other devices as well. So I think they've got... Um, like Game Gear and things like that, it'll also support. Um, and you can make games for it using the uh, GB Studio, which a lot of people use to make games for Game Boy and Game Boy Color, which I might look into making some games myself because I like uh, doing a bit of dev stuff. So I'll get, uh, I've got GB Studio, but they've uh, made a special output uh, of for your game, a version that'll run on the Pocket Analog specifically. So it'll have a different version to the Game Boy stuff. So there's a few new interesting Game Boy style machines and uh, pocket machines coming out. There's a heap coming out. I was actually just looking at some reviews the other day and the whole retro thing is definitely coming back because there's the Pocket Go S30. Yep. There's the... Um, the Game Force um, handheld... Uh, which is a um, like, like a multi-platform thing, yep. an emulated handheld. There's a RG280V handheld game console, which reminds me of the old um, like Donkey Kong style hand hand console ones. Yep. There's these things called Power Kitty RGB ones, which are like a they look like a Nintendo controller with a screen on top of them. Yeah, I see Pow Kitty around. There's the these Pie Boy DMG, which is basically a Game Boy with a Raspberry Pi inside it. Yep. There's just so much. <laughs> if you're into the retro and you're into the portable. It's definitely making a comeback. It, it's There's just so much stuff. There's um, the RG351M. There's yep, the retro from my one. Retro three fifty. Yeah. And then there's the V, which I think is one of those is metal case and one's plastic case or something. Yeah. 
Um, and there's the Retroid Pocket. There's yeah, there's just so much stuff coming out at the moment. It's a Heaven very for us guys. It's a very interesting, um, very interesting times in, in that regard. Um, it's kind of strange that retro. You know, like there was a couple of attempts at it. There was the Mini Nintendo. There was the Mini Sega. The Smith. And they sort of come out in dribs and drabs, and they uh, they they created artificial shortages to make the hype up and and a bit buggy and <laughs> same. And, yeah, never quite felt right, you know. And then in the last two years, there's just this insane glut of <laughs> everything from factory originals like Nintendo, for example, right through to. $10 AliExpress Chinese rip-off things that are actually games. pretty good. <laughs> you know, um, there's a guy on YouTube, um, Ashens, and he used to test a lot of these Chinese rip-off, you know, Ultra Boys and whatever they used to call them. <laughs> and they were horrendous. They were basically these little handheld consoles put in, uh, you know, put 50 games on one thing. But they were like the old beep, beep, and that's all they were they're they're never any better than that and then just in the last couple of years even these $10 what would traditionally be these $10 handheld things uh, become absolutely fascinating you know so it's really surprising Um, interesting to see where it sort of where it ends I guess (coughs) Australian payments player FPOS has announced completing the build of its new QR code payments infrastructure. The first stage of the QR infrastructure was built in early July, CEO Stephen Benton said, and is described as being designed to provide secure and enhanced consumer purchasing and engagement experiences through loyalty, offers, receipts and added security. Benton said testing of the new QR code infrastructure is underway and end-to-end testing would be completed when the first merchant goes live in August. FPOS said the first commercial trials would be announced in the coming weeks. There had been considerable demand to put uh, demand to work on various QR solutions with several merchants across different business categories including entertainment, charities and quick service restaurants in addition to a number of fintech partners, gateways, banks and digital wallet providers, he said. It's exciting to see the build come to life at such pace and experiencing demand beyond initial expectations. It means we can start to bring exciting new commercial applications to market sooner and aim to provide Australians with better, consistent, data-rich digital payment experiences no matter where they choose to shop, online, on their mobile or at the checkout. Although payment sector expert Lance Blocky highlighted a parliamentary committee on Monday that QR codes are not overly appropriate in the Australian context where nation where the nation has been used as a poster child for tap and go payments. FPOS is hoping familiarity with QR codes through the COVID, COVID safe practices the past year will help the uptake. It's funny, yeah. Uh, I was reading an article and apparently most other countries don't do tap and go. Yeah. Which I thought was strange. Normally we're the slow US on that sort of stuff. still had signatures till a couple of years ago. Yeah. They didn't even have chip and pin. We're, we're normally really slow with this sort of stuff, but apparently we're ahead of the ball on that one. Yeah. I mean, um, you, because of the COVID thing, they upgraded it to $200 for tap and go. But you still some. see these people in America like, 
oh my god everyone's gonna steal my money they're just gonna take it they're gonna tap it everywhere or walk past me with a machine that's gonna read it and take all the money out of it stuff you're like that's just because people don't understand how it works yeah <laughs> if in fact if i can't tap and go i get really annoyed at a place yes yeah, so, i mean some cards like uh, we've got a few different cards obviously between our own banks and work bank and stuff like that and out of all of them, the Westpac one is horrendously fussy with what machines it wants to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it like probably only works one in ten times. <laughs> all the other cards, they'll work on anything. They don't care. But for whatever reason, the Westpac one just yep. doesn't want to know about it. Um, but I mean, I don't know how it's going to work with QR codes because QR codes aren't secure. They're not designed to be. There's nothing about them that are secure. So I don't really understand how... Although I'm guessing the payment system's going to be stealing your phone as a virtual card or something and the QR code just says what you bought from where and how much it cost and all that kind of thing that you would get on your receipt, I guess. This is what I don't know. So I, also, I if know. you go like to a web page, you can, you can put up a QR code, put your phone up to it and pay for it with your phone that way instead of getting out your credit card or yeah. you don't have PayPal or something. But QR codes are so easy to... Like, you can make them yourself. Like, there's some, there's no inherent security on it. Yeah. So I'm saying, like, I I don't... I don't know. I have to I have to see what... I have to visualize what they're actually on about because in my mind, it seems like a very, very bad way of doing things. Um, I can see how it would go... be very easy to, to, to go wrong, but... I could be looking at the wrong way around too. I don't know. Yep. We'll wait and see. <coughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Um, hello, Mouse. Mouse, where are you? There you are. Thank you. <laughs> I just had enough. Uh, so, NBN. Because, you know, why not? So, we discussed last time that they weren't able to meet minimum speed criteria that they'd set for themselves on you know whatever it was 25% of their customers or something um so they had with the last start of last year they'd uh, worked with the retailers and they'd given everybody um uh, data credits to allow allocate more data per person effectively on, on the system um, that's not going to happen this time around. So the NBN is not not giving capacity boost to retailers. So either one or two things is going to occur. Either the retailers are going to have to take a massive hit and lose money effectively, or they're going to have to put the prices up. Yep. That that's literally what it comes down to. Because with more and more people working from home and, and and well, even working remotely as well, um, the average data per not well, the average is not only data speed, but the actual amount of data consumed per person is increasing. Because uh, yeah. a lot of the time you would have had, say, you've got an office building, you've got five thousand people in the office building most of those people would be accessing the internet at any one time to do internal documents and things like that. They're not actually pushing through the ISP for data. 
Well, now every single one of those 5,000 people is suddenly logging onto the server at work to get the information out of it. Yeah. So that one premises, their data can be, their throughput can be 5,000% up in a month yeah. if you look at it like that. Um, and so the NBN had allocated extra data stores for the retailers to say, okay, well, look, normally you're allocated, you know, 100 terabytes for this month but we're going to give you more because obviously people are going to use more data but that was that's due to finish uh, on July 17th and they're not reinstating um, that condition now so all that extra data that now has to be paid for by the retailers Um, so they've not only actually allowing the NBN network cap they've dropped it to 19 terabits a second Um, they've taken away data allocations from from the retailers as well so now then back to sharing connections to meet their targets which is going to slow the system down again yeah Um, it's going to get messy Basically, <laughs> so basically, don't be don't be surprised if you're going to start paying more for the same or slower speeds. Yeah, is basically what it comes down to. Because Australia didn't plan ahead, even though we knew we should. Why do that? Crazy, crazy. <clears throat> I'll finish up with uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are attempting <laughs> to become the new owners of Casa Bonita the beloved Colorado restaurant featured in their show, South Park. We want to buy a Casa Bonita and treat it right. I feel like it was neglected even before the pandemic, Parker revealed on Wednesday. The company that currently owns Casa Bonita, Summit Family Restaurants, filed for Chapter 11 protection in Arizona on April 6. For the moment, a possible sale is in limbo due to ongoing court proceedings, he said. Nevertheless, the South Park co-creators are trying to make a deal work. We are absolutely trying to buy it, Parker said. We are going to do everything we can. We want to make it right and make it amazing. Located at 6715 West Colfax Avenue in Lakewood, the enormous Mexican restaurant, which features an arcade, cave, and waterfall with cliff divers, among other attractions, opened up in 1974. Should the sale occur, Parker says the duo, along with the additional unidentified Colorado-based restaurateurs, have big plans for the destination. We started talking about the changes we're going to make, mostly with food, Parker said. We're going to make it really awesome. We're going to make really awesome food. I was already thinking about how I was going to make Black Bart's Cave a little bigger. A beloved childhood location for Parker and Stone, Casa Benito has received several mentions in South Park and was even the focus of a classic 2003 episode. Casa Benito was also featured in the 2017 video game South Park The Fractured But Whole as part of the downloadable content. Naturally, if Parker and Stone are successful in their efforts, Casa Bonita will feature a good deal of South Park IP. Surely they'll have to sell chocolate salty balls. Yes. <laughs> so I've got my chocolate salty balls. <laughs> they just have to, wouldn't they? Like, it'd be a rule. Yeah. They wouldn't have the chef there. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that just have to. Yeah, they couldn't have chef, unfortunately. <coughs> um, so just a couple of quick ones. Uh, I was like, 
the guys who use Amazon Web Services, uh, EC2, um, they are closing that that off. Uh, it's one of, that's their actually their oldest original. The EC2 Classic is what started the the whole online movement, effectively uh, processing movement. Anyway, um, so if you if you currently have an EC2 account and you wish to renew it, um, you can until October 30th. Um, you'll be able to renew it if you leave it till October 30th. Before October 30th, you can renew it for three years. If you leave it until August next year, you'll only be able to renew it for 12 months. But basically, if you're using EC2 servers, if you, you either know what they are or you don't. If you're using them, um, you're going to need to figure out how to push up to either a gold or a VPC or something like that to, to do what you need to do. Um, because, yeah, they're closing the services down. So, Which is interesting because they just sent me an email today saying... Hey, your EC your EC two servers sitting there not doing much. Would you like to reactivate it? And, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hang on, you just told me you're closing it down. Why yeah. do I want to reactivate it? <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's just something to be wary, a little bit wary of. Won't affect most people, but uh, it could be a major pain in the backside for some people, especially people who are using it as their primary uh, um, data store. Yep. So. Uh, and quickly, Facebook wants to create the metaverse. Well, so quick backstory: um, Neil Stevenson wrote a book called Snow Crash, and in Snow Crash, uh, it was basically the meta. You had the real world, and then you had no internet per se. What we know as the internet is called the metaverse. If you've seen Ready Player One. That is basically what he described the metaverse as. Um, so it was kind of a cross between virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, you know, the 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 line blurred between reality and and, and metaverse. So it's interesting that uh, Mark Zuckerberg announced that the metaverse project group is going to advance its efforts to build a three D social space using virtual and augmented reality. <laughs> um, which is interesting so he uh, yeah basically an open world shared environment um, it's he's saying it's not something that any one company is going to build we need to do it in conjunction with other companies which is something I actually agree him on uh However, they did so well with their Oculus stuff that I'm sure they won't have any trouble creating some sort of virtual environment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do recommend, though, if you love sci-fi and you love... S the uh, Neil Stevenson's stuff is so hard to describe because it's sci-fi and it's fiction, but only just... <laughs> Most of the stuff that he writes, especially in something like Cryptonomicron, which you, you've listened to, 90% of that 
is reality. 90% of what's in that book happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10% of it's made up. But it's really hard to distinguish where that 10% comes from sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, he uses real places, times, people, uh, environments, um, thing, structures, um, technologies, things that are, are real. And he just, just pushes the boundaries a little bit this way and a little bit this way and just blurs the edges of, of reality to make his sci-fi books. And until you've read his books, you, you really can't appreciate just how much it plays with your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Snow Crash is a classic, um, Cryptonomicrons is a classic example of that because there's not one part in that story that I can't actually see not happening in reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's written in such a way that most of it actually happened and the bits that didn't could. Yeah, <laughs> and you it's know, not Sno- too far away out there no. or something. Snow crashes. Probably his most out there book is Diamond Age, but even if you take the literal meaning away from it and make it what the story is getting at, it's it's actually not that far fetched either. You know, so it's uh, yeah, check it, Neil, Neil Stephen. If you want something that's that that if you like almost any genre you'll like Neil Stevenson <laughs> that's, still good. that's pretty much what it comes down to yeah that was your tune yeah that's that's uh, I mean that, that'll do <laughs> alrighty thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Head show we can be found at Facebook Twitter YouTube Patreon and Coffee. Email us Will or Warlock at AussieTechheads.com.au and go to AussieTechRadio.com 24-7 back-to-back play of tech-related shows. See you next time. Bye.